Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Bite Me Podcast. Welcome in. John Lopez, Captain Scott Knoll. And this week we're privileged to have another captain, Captain Caleb McCumber, joining us. Uh, for an encore performance from last week, and uh, we got a show for you, man. You want a show? We got a show. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, the best stuff that you talk about is off air, uh, and uh, so you know, just right before we came on here with this Texas Saltwater Fishing Podcast, uh, uh, we like to say the best in Texas inshore and offshore insight. Well, uh, use that term loosely because sometimes the best isn't necessarily always uh, the best. Um, I happen to mention, you know, that I, that I've never actually fallen off my boat as much as I've fished for years and years and years. I've come close. I've done the old whoa, you know, and you kind of catch yourself. And I've come close uh, several times. I broke a finger trying to stay on the boat when I was looking like I was going to fall off. All this other stuff, but I've never actually boom done the splash. Captain Scott, have you ever? Uh, one time, I was pretty young, and uh, I was leaning over the side of the boat to net a fish. Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm going in, but I caught myself, and I did like a an upside down pull up kind of thing where mm-hmm. the only thing got wet was my head. Well, and that's the, the rest of my body stayed dry. So nothing important. So I didn't actually fall out of the boat. I mean, if you if really, I mean, I just kind of ducked my head in yeah, the water. You just felt like now if we were on kayaks. Yeah, been, I've, I've been in a few times in the kayak. Well, yeah, see that's yeah, I mean, the thing. That's a whole different ball. You game. roll those things. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of half expect it. Yeah, but so nothing important got wet uh, when, <laughs> when you when you went in there. So when they say best, what about you, Captain Caleb? You're falling off a boat. I didn't fall off. I walked off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Takes a special one. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I walked right off of it, and then it was the uh, yen to Scotch Yang. Everything but my head got wet. And oh, wow. I'm a six-foot guy in eight foot of water, and somehow my, my, my sunglasses and my cap stayed dry. <laughs> and 
And so my seven-year-old, he's already fallen out. So uh, the rites of passage are there. How'd you walk off your boat? Thought he had his 25 yeah. foot and he one was in step a 21. At a time. <laughs> one, one foot in front of the other. That's how I did yeah. it. Yeah. Very, <laughs> not so carefully. Yeah. So you were just lost your, your place? No, I was, uh, I was walking down the gunnel. It was uh, a Haney boat with the, the gunnel. You can, you should, shouldn't walk down, but I did. Mm-hmm. And there was a fairly large fella in the front of the boat and he took a step towards me and I promised my body didn't turn right, but something in my equilibrium did. And I was gone, man. <laughs> you took the deep dive. Uh, yeah, you know what? And uh, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, a Haney boat, that's one of the prizes for the uh, Star Tournament. Uh, the Redfish Division, the tagged Redfish Division. We're coming up on the last weekend, boys. I mean, we're coming up on uh, the very, very end of it, and uh, uh, there's still chances to to uh, to win to to at least get a boat. I think all the the truck and boat packages uh, have now been accounted for, those dogs, because uh, I was hoping to get that. But there's still some big trout uh, that are left to be had, and ling and dorado and kingfish offshore. I uh, got an 8-pound, 15-ounce uh, middle coast uh, trout. Uh, the most impressive one continues to be uh, that uh, star team. Was it the star team uh, that we were talking about that had the – the nine-pound uh, trout, Scott. Uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, it was in the star teens. It was in the star teen. Uh, yeah, that's that's incredible. Uh, but anyway, so that's going on. That's ending. We got uh, obviously a bunch of different stuff going on. We mentioned last week before we get into the topics for this week, Scott, uh, about the kill switch law, and I completely forgot to mention there's a couple of devices out there. If you don't know, you're gonna have to wear your kill switch to your body starting September first, and it's the law. But there are a couple of things out there that you you gave me the heads up on that are kind of like well what I guess it's remote it's wireless it's wireless it's a wireless kill switch uh, the 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 pushback against wearing them mm-hmm. is always that it's it's a little uncomfortable you know to to have one on your wrist to wear the wired one to wear the wired one have it snap to you uh, if you forget that it's on there and you step away from your you know, step away from just a reach second, or something reach for yeah. something it kills your boat while mm-hmm. you're running. Uh, so these are uh, wireless ones. Uh, the one that I, I looked at and read about the most was uh, from Fell Marine, F E L L, like like Caleb like, fell like out Caleb of the boat. Fell. <laughs> and uh, it has a hub unit that attaches to your ignition, mm-hmm. and then you have either a wristband or uh, one of the little fobs, like mm-hmm. a key fob, just hanging on your can belt, attach loop to your or belt. something. Yeah, uh, and you have fifty foot range. So if you're within fifty feet of that that base unit, mm-hmm. you're still good. Uh, it won't turn it off. Uh, if you fall in the water, if it, if it gets wet, if it gets wet, it has an immersion technology. And as soon as you get wet, it kills us, kills the boat, mm-hmm. which those are, that's the whole reason why you have one. Right. So when you do fall out of the boat while it's running, you know, you hit something, it knocks you out of the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to hit the kill switch. Uh, but it also give, leaves you free to walk around the boat. You put it around your neck. You you have it on your wrist. It looks like a little wristwatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have it on there. Now you can fish all day long, and never have to worry about reattaching right. the kill switch with the with the lead, uh, which is that's going to be the biggest thing mm-hmm. with people getting used to it. Just like putting a seatbelt. I've been on. trying to do it more often, and, and I'm, I'm already kind of yeah. used to it. But if you really want to take the next step, you can walk around your boat. Uh, you know, you can pull up at the bait camp, go get your bait, uh, and still have the fob on without the boat being being killed you know what i mean i right. mean you know so that, that's a pretty pretty cool deal i think right? it's gonna 
it, it's pretty popular. I wish I was an investor in that. Right. And, and Caleb, <laughs> you were talking about how, you know, a lot of these, it might've been just somebody tipped them off about the Texas law, but a lot of other States already have, you know, that you have to wear the kill switch, you know, by law. So I'm sure that's where that came from. Yeah. I just looked up uh, where you can get it and mm-hmm. where you can look at it. Uh, all the Bass Pros, West Marine, uh, around the Houston area, Premier, Yamaha, and LMC are, mm-hmm. are dealers for it. Well, good. Well, good deal. All right. So on the rest of this show, um, it's going to be a real treat uh, for a lot of people who already fish in the Middle Coast or are planning to, to maybe fish there more often. Uh, we did it a couple of weeks ago on the upper coast. Like just, all right, tell me everything you need to know about the middle coast. Uh, what makes it unique? What makes it different? Uh, best ways to learn it, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Uh, other topics today, and they're all listener driven. If you guys want to uh, send us a message, Captain Scott Null on Facebook, John Lopez on Facebook. I'm at Lopez on sports on Twitter and Instagram. And he's Captain Scott Null on Instagram. Just, just, you know, reach out. I mean, I, we get those messages literally every day. Uh, good ones we use. Uh, we try to use them all, but, uh, if there's a repeat, we, you know, we maybe put it off for a little bit. Uh, we love getting the feedback. If you subscribe, you can subscribe to us on uh, all the podcast, uh, platforms, uh, obviously iTunes, uh, we're on Spotify now, uh, Podbean, uh, Omni, all the, the podcast, wherever you get a podcast, you you can subscribe. We've got great numbers, a lot of people listening to us and that makes us happy. So we're gonna do that. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, when to move on at the beachfront. We were talking last week uh, a little bit about how fish seem to, quote, run more, uh, move more when the, on the beachfront than in bays, per se. Uh, so we'll do that. We'll talk about some summer fishing essentials. We're in the breach right now, man. It is hot, uh, and a lot of people just don't want to be out there. But maybe there's some essentials that can keep uh, bait alive a little longer. You can stay cool. You can fish a little longer. And hopefully we'll get to this as well, scouting a bay. Just, you know, just period. Open-ended question. You got a new bay. Let's say we're going to the Middle Coast uh, and you're in whatever bay that might may be uh, and you want to scout it. What are some some musts and some to-dos uh, w- when you scout a bay? All right, let's get into it. Uh, we'll start with uh, the lead here. And we got Captain Caleb with us. Captain Scott, you've been on the, on the Middle Coast for a long time. Uh, let's start with boundaries. Like, like when you, you are a Middle Coast guide, Caleb. Um, and like, where, what do you consider the middle coast? I would say from the San Bernard river South to maybe almost Baffin really, really, um, there's such a, there's such a difference between Baffin and the lower Laguna, Mm -hmm. you know, Baffin still has your guts and your mud holes and, and whatnot. So I I would say probably Baffin to maybe about the San Bernard river. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I, I would include Baffin in, in that because it is more similar to the Middle Coast on some stuff. But the uh, the lower Laguna on the outside of that, mm-hmm. I would tend to make that more lower coast from basically from the causeway. Right. You know, from the Corpus Christi causeway down, I would kind of consider that to be lower coast. You mentioned that in the past, and uh, I would tend to agree with that. But but really, okay, so so we just so people who are on their phones listening to us can kind of look at what we're talking about the area, or if they have a map or, or whatever – uh, look at what we're talking about. Um, and people, we were just talking about the, you know, the star tournament, you know, upper coast, middle coast, lower coast, they have their own boundaries. We, you know, ours are very similar. Um, but I'm going to defer to you two guys on, almost exclusively on this topic because I, I know a thing or two, but I don't know what you guys know. I divide it by habitat more so than, yeah. you know, just a, a geographical boundary. Like explain, uh, what do you mean by habitat? Right. Well, Port Mansfield mm-hmm. looks a whole lot like south of the causeway. It, Corpus, mm-hmm. those kind of areas, the backside of, you know, like Bird Island, 
base and all that is real similar to to Port Mansfield mm-hmm. and points further south. So that's why I kind of consider those two to be the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, like uh, Caleb said, Baffin is like a totally different animal. It it doesn't fit right with the uh, the true South Texas grass flats, sand flats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a little different kind of place. A lot of grass in the middle of the flat, all that stuff. You don't see that in the middle coast, right? Not not much. You, mm-hmm. Definitely not in the middle. No. All right. So when you're fishing, what what would if somebody said, all right, you know, what makes the middle coast? Uh, unique you know what would you tell them well i I feel like matagorda which is my playground is probably the most unique spot in texas Mm -hmm. Um, east bay you have what's left of the mississippi river delta that's giving you the mud and the shale that you see through the upper coast Mm -hmm. and then the colorado south you have the grass and the sand that you see in south texas and matagorda west bay it transitions there absolutely it does Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and um but the in in East Bay and up, every one of the coves has its own specific little uh, ecosystem, if you will. Sure. Each cove has its own drain that's doing a little bit different than the next cove down. You have sandbars in some, you have shell in some. Um, it's very each little. It, it's micro spots within micro spots. Mm-hmm. Where whenever you get to West Bay, you have a bunch of drains coming out the same direction. They're all in a generally close vicinity to each other. Mm-hmm. Out in front of them, you have big grass flats with potholes that are that are very similar to down around the causeway. And sure, you know, like Scott was talking about, the meadows is what is what uh, we call the 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 grass flats in the lower Laguna or mm-hmm. the I'm sorry, the um yeah the the, the West, Laguna yeah. the, the Laguna that they're, they're Passport Island. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it it's a lot of different things coming together in the Middle Coast. Uh, trouble I have going down to the lower Laguna mm-hmm. is you've got hundreds of miles of everything that looks the same. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you go talk to all a, looks the same. Yeah. I, I'm sure you go talk to, you know, Pat, uh, Mike McBride or any, they'll may say, Oh, this doesn't look the same at all. But to, to me and the guys, if you're that just getting here, there and trying to fish it, right. It all looks great. Mm-hmm. It, so what makes it different? So, so when the, that's a good way to put it, I hadn't thought of it. Like you, you're, you're literally transitioning you can see the transition in east and west Matagorda Bay, and and then certainly lower than that, it, it you can see the transition more. But what does it mean in terms of how that makes it unique to fish? Um, with depends on what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. You want to go sight fishing? Uh, I would probably tend to go more west Matagorda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd slide over to that side of it. Uh, fishing for the big trout and stuff. That's more east Matagorda. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like to fish reefs, if you like to shell fish some shell mm-hmm. you know you guys know know east, east matagorda as well as anybody right uh yeah that's that would be my reasoning for for making it different uh if like when i was in the redfish tournaments mm-hmm. uh if we were going to fish muddy backwaters and do it that way we pulled out of the harbor and we hung a left right and headed you know headed towards east matagorda or even further on up mm-hmm. you know, around the browses uh if it was dead calm and it was clear and it was good sight casting weather, mm-hmm. a lot of times we would head on down, um, go into West Bay and head down towards Greens, mm-hmm. you know, like halfway to Port O'Connor, mm-hmm. and we would fish that area. You know, one one thing about also Caleb is, uh, you know, I, I put on here, you know, how does the equipment change when from the middle coast as opposed to the lower coast or the upper coast? To me, that's all about the the depth of the boat running and and, and where you're going. And, I mean, obviously, other equipment can change too. But I mean, your the boat matters in the middle coast, doesn't it? I like a boat that I can get 
as shallow as possible, but we have to cross big water to get just about anywhere other than the, the marshland. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, up here, uh, a shallow sport or a redfish line or something is not my cup of tea because you're going to get your teeth beat out going to where you're w- wanting to go. Right. But a V bottom, um, same thing for, for what I like to do. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of guides in Matagorda that run a V bottom and drift the middle of the bay and wade all day long. Mm-hmm. But a, uh, a shallow running boat. Um, I use a JH outlaw. There's a lot of, uh, shoal waters, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that you see a lot of them here on the middle coast. The, what about you? As far as, uh, we'll start with the boats. In that's why of, I own two boats. That's exactly right. Well, some people can, I mean, that's, <laughs> honestly, I mean, yeah. I, that's why I have a cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the big Darrow cat. I can run the roughest water. Kayla and I proved that on a tournament here uh, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, fifty-four miles an hour, I think it was sustained. Uh, yeah, sustained was yep. fifty-four miles an hour. It gusted into the sixties. Jeez, and we stayed dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guys that were running behind you us can have that. I don't even way. remember what kind of boat there, <laughs> but they the they, guys running behind us were not dry. <laughs> yeah. They were in a long V bottom, yeah. and uh, I, I'm going to leave them unnamed. They were friends of mine, and. And uh, they had one of those 65-mile-an-hour boats, and Scott and I left them in that dargle. <laughs> we weren't running 65, no. yeah. <laughs> but we left them. Yeah. yeah, We left them just puttering along, getting beat to death and getting really wet, and we just kind of smiled and went on by. <laughs> Everybody thinks my boat's ugly. You know, I hear that all the time. Caleb says it about my boat. My, mm-hmm. old, my old dargle is not the prettiest boat out there. You know, it's not like a big old yellow fin or something, you know, something pretty, <laughs> but it gets a job done and it keeps you dry. And then you have uh, your skiff. And then I've got my Sabine Poland skiff for mm-hmm. when I really want to get skinny. Right. Uh, the cattle get get pretty skinny, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more than you think it would. For for people like me, it would be perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah. But yeah. when I really got to get skinny and, you know, we're fly fishing, we're sight casting reds, and right. that's where I've got the Sabine. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, the, the unique characteristics of the Middle Coast. Why do you like it? Why do you like fishing the Middle Why Why did you put a stake in the ground there? There's so much variety. Mm-hmm. You know, like Scott said, out of Matagorda Harbor, I can turn right and go to crystal clear water on grass. I can turn left and go look for bigger fish on mud and shell. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing that seems to really start here is the Louisiana-style marshes. Um, they're not as much as when right. you get further up the coast, but they're here. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's, you can fish any style you want on right there on the middle coast. That's why I like it. To be honest, because like I have my own deal. We all have like our preferences. You know, I, I like I've caught enough trout. I want to catch the trout. And so I love being able to to go and, and put my stake, uh, my talon down and find a, a place to wait or, or whatever. But I can also take my kids or, or friends and just want to catch numbers and go across, you know, you know, drift across the middle of the bay and, and do that. Now, Scott, you're in a unique situation. You know, you uh, obviously retired from uh, HPD. You fished a lot on the lower coast, a lot on the middle coast, and a lot on the upper coast. Why are you settled in Port O'Connor? Uh, part of it's proximity to Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, got two daughters here and got grandkids. Right. Uh, so we looked really hard at going down and finding this place on the Arroyo mm-hmm. and uh, in between Mansfield and Port Isabel. Uh, we looked at Mansfield. We looked all over the place down that way thinking – for the future. Yeah. Uh, but then you stop and think about it. It's five, six hours, mm-hmm. six and a half hours from some of those places to get back to Houston. Uh, Port O'Connor's easy. You know, it's a, it's a two hour trip. Right. And I do it once a week coming up here for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a quick, easy trip mm-hmm. and fishing wise. Yeah. Let I me just, ask you what I say. What do you like about it? I like it because 
I've got, like he said, variety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can do a lot of different things there. You got jetties too. I've got the jetties. Mm -hmm. I've got, I can run out through there. I can go out and do my tarpon thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We catch catch kingfish at the jetties. Um, Stephen Reed caught a sailfish last year at the jetties. Mm -hmm. We've talked about. Uh, There's so much variety. The water gets deeper a lot faster along the middle coast, Mm -hmm. and it clears up a lot faster. Uh, When you do have the southwest winds like we've been having, uh, as soon as it drops, you got a day and a half, two days, and it's back to clear again. Right. Uh, instead of on the upper coast, you get a bad southwest. It could stay muddy and dirty for, you know, four, five, six days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so clearer water, more sight casting opportunities. When I do want to do the redfish and the fly fishing, uh, I've got great, great places to do that. Mm-hmm. I've got back lakes. I've got grass flats out on the open that are sandy with potholes. I've got the jetties. Uh, good variety. And one thing that reminds me is one thing, Caleb, the, the, why I like it and why I moved down uh, to the middle coast, no matter which way the wind is blowing, I can find some water. You know what I mean? I, there, there's going to be a protected shoreline somewhere that is fishy. Now, like if it's getting blown out at 30 miles an hour, I'm not talking about that, but like, let's say you don't want to get beat up. It's a good, you know, 10, 15 mile an hour, but you want to just have a nice, easy day and fish. It's like all those bays have all four sides, you know, covered no matter what way the, the wind's blowing. There's always going to be some good water somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Matagorda West Bay is very difficult to tear up that whole bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with the day that Scott and I were fishing, it was blowing 50-something. The water was <laughs> Still green. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were standing in line to pay our entry fees and looking at each other going, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> but neither one of us could be the chicken. But even on that day, the water was... You found some water. Oh yeah, it it was it was clean in West Bay. It, Scott and I went and weighed fish that day, and mm-hmm. the water looked fine. The lightning didn't look great at all, but the water looked <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah, the lightning kind of ended things. I did catch a limited trout that day. I'll be damned. Yeah, me, mm-hmm. Mr. Redfish. Yeah, yeah, in a redfish tournament. Oh I, well, okay. And well, I, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, and I bailed out to go fish my one of my favorite little coves, mm-hmm. and I bailed out and I went in there with a topwater and caught five trout <laughs> within just minutes. But and a lot of bays have protected shorelines. You can always I have, I've told Scott this. You can always find no matter if you're Sabine or, or you can always find some protected water. But just there, it's 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 a little bit more. The proximity is closer to more of the wherever you're going to launch, whether it's Port O'Connor or whatever. You can always find. That's an why area. I like Port O'Connor. I can launch uh, when it's not windy. I'm launching down there by Charlie's by me. It's mm-hmm. five minutes from my house. Yeah, uh, I'll launch there. I can run straight across the bay in the little Poland skiff, mm-hmm. no problems. And I've got a bunch of back lakes over on the island. Uh, when the wind starts getting up and I don't feel like busting out across there and just drag your boat, I'll go down to Port O'Connor yeah. 15 minutes down the road. I'll launch at Port O'Connor. I can go straight across the intercoastal mm-hmm. and that's as much open water as I have to deal with the, the entire day. I can right. stay in backwaters and have plenty of places to go. Yeah. And not get beat up. Um, well, okay. So someone here, let's say who's been fishing or living in San Antonio or living in Dallas and you know what? I'm thinking about going down to the Middle Coast more often. I've always gone down south, you know, or I've always gone down north, upper, or whatever. What's the best advice for, for someone like just, I, I'm, I want to go and learn the Middle Coast fishing. Like, what do, you, what do you tell them how to start, where to go? Google Earth. Yeah. Google Earth. Um, and you can, even, you can even pull GPS waypoints off of Google Earth and put them onto the device on your boat. Um, if, I, if I were just going out looking, I would find the deeper channels that I knew I could run. Most of them, especially around Port O'Connor, are marked pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, Matagorda, not so much. Um, but 
but I would I would use Google Earth. I would move some waypoints over to my GPS, mm-hmm. and if I were fishing, I would take the time to think to myself, "What's the tide doing? Is it coming in, going right, out?" Right. Um, like I said earlier, each one of those coves uh, in East Bay, particularly, has their own their own little ecosystem mm-hmm. in there. So I would know if the tide's coming in, maybe I want to go in that cove and get on the backside of that sandbar or, or vice versa if it's going out. Mm-hmm. But the Middle Coast is a uh, is a good place to get rewarded and it's a good place to get punished. Yeah, it is. So put put some time into it. Just going out and driving around, it is not going to show you a whole lot in my part of the one thing uh, that you and I have talked about, Scott, but first of all, what's what's your advice? Someone coming, I want to go to Port O'Connor, man. Pick a small area, learn it on Google, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe pick you one or two places. Learn them, look at it on Google, study it. Yeah, you know, that's the advantage everybody has these days. Right. Versus when I was coming up, I mean, you had to just go out there and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you can do a whole lot of your homework sitting at the house and uh, get that homework done, and then go out there and try to apply it to what you're looking at when you actually get to the water. Mm-hmm. It looks different. I mean, you know, well, it you, looks easy you know, on the map. It looks on the easy <laughs> on the map, man. It, you know, and then you start running out there and it, it looks a whole lot I, different. Hey, I've done that. I'm uh, like, Hey, I can go right from there to there. That's yeah. going to be a piece of cake. And then yeah. you get out there like, whoops. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it doesn't look the same. Uh, so that having GPS on your boat, you know, makes a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. I know not everybody runs one. I, I don't run one all the time, but mm-hmm. I know, know the area well enough. Um, but I would I would pick small areas uh, like you was talking about a cove. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick out two coves and learn those two coves. We've talked about that in the past. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn to saltwater fish, go into a small area and wade it. Learn every bit ground, about man. the bottom. Yeah. You learn everything, every little dip, every hole, every piece of shell in that entire cove, and then move on to the next cove. Boots on the ground is what I say, and I know you subscribe to that thought. There's no better way to learn something than to walk around in it. Mm-hmm. And you can you can see when when you're walking from shell to to mud, shell to you know sand or whatever. It just helps you get a better idea of not even just like that one spot, but like that shoreline or that area of the bay. You you get a better gauge. Oh, okay, so there's scattered shell here, or there's this or that. And the thing to do as you're doing that is then you have to do your old school. You yeah. have to triangulate. Mm-hmm. You have to look at the shoreline. And when you step on that shell and you're stepping up on it and you're feeling a ridge, mm-hmm. man, I want to know where this is. Yep. And I want to be able to back off and fish it. It's not so much that I want to be able to go out and find it and stand on it again. Mm-hmm. I want to throw a lure at it. Right. So now I have to look around and start trying to triangulate uh, that point over there with that, you know, that tower mm-hmm. and kind of get a general area where I need to cast the next time that I come out there. And, and, you know, mark it, you know, when you leave or something. You, you can know, mark it on your GPS, yeah, sure. W- once you leave, mark it. Go ahead. When, when I'm in my boat, even, my rod is constantly going in the water and feeling what's underneath me. Mm-hmm. Every time my power pulls down, if I when I'm putting it down, if I hear a crunch, you know, I remember that. Yeah. And, and, and if I poke my rod down three or four times and it shell every time, I'm climbing up in my tower and I'm putting a mark there and, and going on one of my it. favorite things to do when I'm learning a new area uh, is is I put my t- I have a talent I, I'm not I don't care what you have I'm just saying what I I have a talent and you hear that little that drag right. on, on the talent you're like oh hey now yeah, that's <laughs> a hard bottom that's a hard bottom yeah. right there down there on the end of the bay where you hang out at mm-hmm. that, that stuff in the middle that's that's how I found a lot of it is yeah. I'm sticking my rod in the water and yeah. crunch 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 and hey guess what there's a shell pad in the middle of 
big old chunk of mud, that's probably a good thing. Is there any way, is there anything um, different about what you're throwing, middle coast versus lower or upper? Lower coast, clear water, I'm probably, Lighter colors, I'm, it's gonna sparkle. Be, it's going to be sparkly stuff, and I'm probably going to have a leader on. Mm. Um, Why is that? that? Honestly, I like the leader because it gives my lure a better action. Mm. In my mind, I'm using a loop knot, whether it's a jig head, quirky, topwater, anything. Yeah. And then whenever I'm casting something that has treble hooks on it, it's keeping that braid out of the, <laughs> out of the uh, mm-hmm. trebles. Yeah. And Scott's laughing at me because he hates treble hooks. <laughs> but, but, well, not only that, but he's absolutely correct. Yeah. On the, uh, on the keeping that braid off of those treble hooks. Oh, I, it just I starts get it, whining and whining. I get it all the time with customers. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll hang up in there and then it's five minutes trying to get it off of there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It goes through the split rings and, and you know, it, it makes a mess. Um, but there are, times, but you don't do that as much in the upper, in the middle coast, the middle coast. I'm typically tied directly on with break. That's what I do hundred percent of the time. Um, people can, everybody has their own opinion, but I've seen, and these aren't just fish I've caught, but I've seen so many big trout caught tied directly onto a quirky with braid that I don't particularly prescribe to the, they can see my line. They aren't going to eat. Mm-hmm. The the reason I throw a leader is just because I don't like digging line out of out of treble hooks. Right. Um, I use heavier uh, braid. Everything I own has thirty to fifty pound on it. Fifty all the way to fifty. All wow. Of, every one of my redfish rods has fifty pound on it. I uh, used to run sixty five. No kidding. When I fished the redfish tournament, I've been doing something yeah. wrong. I but, ran the sixty five. Big part of it is you can pick a backlash out faster. That's true. Now I use usually thirty on most of my stuff, but uh, occasionally a little more and occasionally a little less. Yeah. My my spinning reels I, I use less. Yeah, tournament fishing, you know, is all about keeping a lure in the water and speed. Mm-hmm. And you know, we can say we're really good with them, but we're all going to backlash sooner or later. <laughs> Come on, we're now. throwing it structure, <laughs> especially if you're throwing it structure in redfish and tournament. graded line. You're, you're going to hit the structure, and you're going to have a little yeah. backlash every once in a while, or you're yeah. going to catch your buddies you know buddy's lure on the yeah. on your back cast and you're going to catch a little a uh, little boat, overrun maybe a little boat and get a little boat action <laughs> there's a lot of things you can hit and uh being able to pull it out really quick mm-hmm. and get that backlash out of there with that 65 pound braid yeah was i can't tell you how many perfect. times i've you know i thought you knew what you were doing yeah i do i thought yeah, well. i thought so too <laughs> well aside of using the braid because we suck with uh bait casters i um uh, it the, it's not as um it doesn't cut on shell as easily. Mm. Uh, Saturday, Cade had an absolute monster redfish on with 30-pound braid and tink. It was gone as soon as he went across shell. So it, it's a little bit more um, right uh, conducive to use with, with the bottom that we have. And mm-hmm. then, like Scott was saying, we fish a lot of structure, and you can just rear back and jerk something off the structure. Right. Uh, but as far as like what you're throwing, Middle Coast is just generally a little match-the-color of the water type deal, isn't it? Uh, typically, um, yeah. you know, I, I don't throw nearly as much red shad down in clear water as mm-hmm. I do up here. So, uh, what about you? Uh, what you're throwing does it matter? Yeah, marginally. Yeah, somewhat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not it's not critical for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about it in the past. Uh, dark colors, light colors, confidence. Yeah, some confidence in the lure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm throwing pretty much the same same thing, upper and lower, and given the water clarity right so if i got good clear water up on the upper coast you know that better than trout green mm-hmm. i'm gonna be throwing the same thing i'm throwing down south well and and in the, in the depth you know when i was fishing sabine real heavy i mean you're talking seven to 15 feet of water in some areas you know uh depending on where you are but usually in the middle of the bay you're going six seven eight feet 
you're not going to find six, seven, eight feet in some of these bays. No. <laughs> you can not, find, you can look all you want. Yeah, outside <laughs> of the intercoastal, no. Yeah. Yeah, you can walk across Port Mansfield. <laughs> if it wasn't for the intercoastal, you just, you know, walk straight on over to the island. And see how far you can go. So, yeah, the depth as well. All right, that's good stuff uh, on the Middle Coast. Anything else that just really jumps out that you wanted to talk about on, on what separates, what makes it unique, what, what we should know about fishing the Middle Coast? I, I feel like we covered the uh, mm-hmm. majority of it. Okay. All right. Let's get to um, a couple of other questions and topic suggestions here. Uh, beachfront time. Uh, we've all been fishing uh, the beachfront or trying to when the weather's good. Um, and and I was I forget who I was fishing with about a month ago. Um, anyway, we the question. This was not a question from a, a listener as much as uh, someone I was fishing with who said, "Man." how do you know? Cause I picked up and moved and we found fish on the beachfront, you know? And he said, how do you know when to move? And to me, Scott, it goes back to what you and I have talked about a bunch of times, what you're seeing, um, on the shoreline and what you're seeing with the water, what it's doing, right? Yeah. How the water's moving, uh, what the current's doing. Are there birds mm-hmm. in the, in the vicinity? Uh, one old, old timer told me a long time ago, running down the beach out of Port O'Connor mm-hmm. and turning South and going down towards Darlington and Cedar Bayou. He would run until he saw a group of pelicans standing on the beach. Mm. And wherever he saw a group of pelicans standing on the beach, that's where he pulled in. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's no beach traffic on that that stretch. Right. You know, it's it's, on, it's boat only. Mm-hmm. And so the birds are not being disturbed by vehicles running up and down like they are on some other, you know, mm-hmm. South Padre and places like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he said, anytime you got a gathering of those birds, look at them. He said, and especially if they're standing there and that happens to be a shell patch up on the beach, right. there's a whole bunch of seashells. Uh, he said, that's a definite stop there. Uh, and he fished before the GPS. Right. So that uh, he knew, he knew how, how to, it. how to find fish like that. Uh, the thing to do now would be go ahead and mark that spot. Well, that's what I was GPS gonna... because it had birds there. Mm-hmm. If it held fish that day, chances are good. It's going to hold fish another day. So you're, you're cruising the beachfront. Uh, we Scott and I have talked about what we look for. What are you What are you looking for when you're cruising the beachfront? And then second part of that, how do you know? All right, boys, you know, let's pick up and move down the beach to this spot or whatever. Well, aside from the obvious, uh, you know, birds working, mm-hmm. anything like that. Uh, if I'm on a stretch that I don't have marked, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is I'm watching the the waves coming over the right. the sandbar. If they're breaking and 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 uh, I can tell there's some sort of bottom structure picking them up, mm-hmm. I'll go until I see a patch of we've got breakers on both sides, but maybe some softer rollers or where they're splitting. Right, right. You know, just something that tells mm-hmm. me that the bottom structure is doing something different with that water there. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, I'll swing in a little bit closer, and especially in the mornings or evenings, if if there's fish there, a lot of the times you're going to see bait popping. Now right. then, you know, right. almost every morning that it was smooth. Uh, last week, when you pulled up to there was, where there was fish, there was a shrimp popping out of the water every now and again. I love that so much. Um, when it's the one t- of my favorite things to see. Oh, it, it was magical. But w- <laughs> when the tide's coming in, I'm paying a lot of attention to the first gut. Um, whenever the tide's going out, I'm usually watching that second gut a little bit harder. And that's just because of experience? That's where you find them? Well, experience and just general logic. You know, mm-hmm. if the if the if if there's a current pulling stuff out, then I'm looking for the fish to be ambushing, where if there's a current pushing in, I'm looking for them to be sitting there and waiting, pinned up against the sand. That's kind of what you yeah. and I have talking about. See, so find where the water's coming back out. Right. 
you want to find those it's a drain it's, mm -hmm. it's just like in the bay it's the water a drain. coming in the gulf doesn't just keep coming in right i mean <laughs> watch a wave a wave pushes a hell of a lot of water up onto a beach and yeah. then it recedes well it's got to go back out into the gulf well you got to find that spot and you find that drain mm -hmm. and you know it, it's the old uh, uh thing that gets swimmers in trouble mm -hmm. you know the, the undertow the, or whatever the, yeah. the little quick undertow that pulls out mm -hmm. that water's got to exit it goes out somewhere Along the beachfront in Galveston, it's usually right along those rock groins. That's mm -hmm. why they don't want you swimming around those rock groins. Um, but in places where you don't have the little jetties and the rock groins, it just naturally occurs. Right. Uh, it'll make a cut through that second bar, through the third bar, and uh, that water that's getting pushed on the beach, it funnels down the beach both directions mm -hmm. and then goes out through that little opening. And on the beachfront, Caleb, um, it, it's much like a bay if you're learning a bay. I mean – once you once you catch some fish in a particular area, mark it because it, it it sure it'll change. I mean that water moves everything, but by and large it might be shell, it might be that gut, or it might be the tide has an opening where it's maybe a little smoother between the waves. I mean, if you're if you're like really catching fish, you know more than just one, you got to mark and just learn and mark your spots, right? Oh uh, yes, um, we have spots marked on our GPSs. We have landmarks up on the beach. You know, mm -hmm. we have we have names for for several of them. Um, Nick found one last year mm -hmm. that it was a uh, it was almost it, it was an odd. The sandbar almost made a dead end, mm -hmm. and Nick and I caught fish there for a couple of weeks and yeah. solid fish, good mm -hmm. ones. Um, so. It, That's it, Captain Nick Mosley, by the way. Yes, Captain Nick Mosley. But they, when you find something, it's probably not going to be changing for a while. Right. You know, uh, Especially because much of the other area, I mean, it's a big, big beachfront, Scott. The other area might be all the same, and there's just, you know, you can't tell. That's where the fish are kind of like running, right? If they're just, you know, they're, they're always running. They're always moving on the beachfront, but they're not gonna, there's not going to be a real spot if the rest of the beachfront is all looking the same. Yeah, and... and one way to look at it, okay, you got desert. I mean, it's just wide open. It's a plain, mm -hmm. you know, for the most part. Uh, watch animals out on a plain. Antelope, they run, they move mm -hmm. because they don't have any structure. They don't have something that They're holds hiding. them in one place. Yeah. Uh, whereas whitetail, whitetail's got all kind of structure. Mm -hmm. They're going to hold tight to that structure. So when you're in an open area, the fish tend to move more. If you're in an area that has structure, they tend to sit a little tighter to it. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, let's let that that's something that you hit in the in the summertime is the beachfront by and large. If you know, unless you're you know just happen to catch a good day here and there, uh, it's been it's been brutal, man. I mean, just brutally hot. Especially uh, last week, it was hitting in the, in the into the hundreds. Um, I want to talk with you first, Scott, because you you always have a good gauge of these things, like just your essentials uh, when you've got people on the boat. Uh, you you want to catch fish. Maybe you're fishing with live bait. Like when it's that hot, what are the essentials of, of not only keeping bait alive if you're fishing live bait or, or whatever you're doing, uh, but keeping yourself cool and staying interested and you don't get like just frustrated and just and just bug out? Lots to drink. Mm -hmm. uh, and one thing that I've found over the years that I like is watermelon, cantaloupe, mm -hmm. some kind of a juicy type fruit and keep that cold, mm -hmm. keep it in the ice chest. Uh, it just kind of gives you a little pick me up, you know. It's a, a little little sugar rush from that mm -hmm. the fruit. Mm -hmm. uh, mostly, it's just about drinking. 
Drink water, drink water, drink water. They Don't sell things beer. you can dip in the cold water and wrap yeah. it around your neck and all that. Yeah, the little chili towels mm-hmm. and things like that. I, I do use those. Um, as far as your bait, uh, I think we've talked about it before. Uh, you got to keep it cooler, you know, especially if you're drawing water off the surface mm-hmm. and you have a recirculating live well. Because that's where the hottest water the is. The hottest water is on the top. So how do you do so, it? Uh, frozen milk jug mm-hmm. and put it in there. Don't put a block of ice in it because the, as the ice melts, it's going to change the, the salinity, the salinity mm-hmm. in there. Um, and also a lot of the ice is going to have chlorine on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're going to you're gonna poison your bait fish on, on top of, you know, killing them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> killing they don't them have other a chance. Ways. Yeah, they don't have a chance <laughs> then. Uh, so I would uh, freeze a bunch of milk jugs. I, I like the quart size, mm-hmm. uh, the smaller ones. And uh, I've started using uh, uh, Gatorade bottles. Oh, that's a good idea. We go through a lot of Gatorade on my boat, so mm-hmm. I've always got extra bottles. Mm-hmm. So I've got a bunch of those frozen. Throw them in the ice chest, and they'll stay frozen all day. Mm-hmm. And it helps keep your drinks cold, along with being able to put it in into your live well as needed to cool that water down a little bit. What about the, the fishing uh, side of this? Because a lot of times if I'm with someone who doesn't fish as much as I do or, or as you guys do, I'll just say, lay down, you know, just chill, you know, put the, put a towel on your head. You know, you don't have to fish nonstop for, you know, six hours or what you're doing because by and large, I mean, you're going to fish when it's cooler to be the most comfortable, but sometimes they start biting at 11 o'clock, you know, and 12 o'clock. I mean, you don't, there's, what about keeping it interesting in terms of just fishing wise, Caleb? Boy, I don't know if there's a right answer to not be miserable when it's (laughs) five degrees outside. Uh, my boat has a mid tower on it, and Cade spends most of the time in the heat sitting underneath the the mm. floor of it to cool off. Of course, he's uh, tiny. Yeah, he's yeah, a little. He's, guy. he's not he, big. He's a little guy. But no, I, I use the the chill pads that mm-hmm. Scott's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been one for taking a break while I was fishing. I'm, no, no, I'm, me neither. I'm just saying, if yeah. someone you know is getting hot, you know, yeah, just with customers, I just keep an eye on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I watch them like a hawk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had one the other day that kind of stumbled walking from the front of the boat to the back of the boat mm-hmm. uh he was walking back there to go get something to drink and he's not an old guy he's a younger guy mm-hmm. and he lost his balance and it wasn't rough yeah it, it was more dizzy it was more about being dizzy mm-hmm. and uh, so i made sure you know i told him so you can get you some gatorade get, get yeah. some electrolytes going uh you got anything to eat in there you know you might want to take a few bites to eat because that's one of the problems as it gets hot a lot of people don't want to eat Mm-hmm. I'm, I know I don't. I don't want a sandwich. Yeah. I don't want to sit out there and eat a sandwich when it's 105 degrees, mm-hmm. but I will eat that melon. Yeah. You know, just popping one or two pieces of melon in my mouth and then I've got a little something to keep going. You know, one thing I do, Caleb, is is if I know, um, did it this past weekend, actually, if I know it's going to be really, really hot, uh, but the tides and everything that I'm looking at, you know, cylinder tables look like it's going to be 11 o'clock when, when I really should be on the water, I'll, I won't take off till 830. You know, I mean, you know, why, why, why spend all that time, you know, which maybe you're going to catch a lot of fish early on and, and you'll be wrong because you can never really predict it. But why, why be in the sun for four hours when the last two hours are, you know, the ones when you really should be on the water? You know what I mean? Just kind of strategize a little bit in advance. No, that's a good idea. Limit your time. Um, Mm -hmm. Scott's talking about melons and stuff. I like to keep a jar of pickles on the boat. Mm -hmm. They're, they're juicy, they're cold and they have electrolytes in them. Mm -hmm. Um, People but, always talk about pickle juice and stuff like right. that. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're selling pickle juice for yeah. what a whole mm-hmm. bucket of pickles cost. <laughs> but 
but that's not a terrible idea at all. You right. Know, go out when you think the bite's going to be right. Uh, just be prepared for everybody to say, oh, man, the, the bite was on fire this morning. And I, yeah, you should have been know, here three I, hours I, yeah, ago. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in a different situation than we are. Yeah, I'm not. I, yeah, so I'm, we're taking people out fishing and they're paying us to take them, take them out. Right. Uh, we're going to get started early. Right. And we're going to. We're gonna fish I'm talking early. about like for guys but like for, me. Yeah, if, if for guys like you, you know, going out or even Caleb and I, if we're gonna go out and goof mm-hmm. off, you know, mm-hmm. have a, have a fun day, a captain day off. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, what do even, captains do on their day off? Fish <laughs> or work? <laughs> mostly work on boats. <laughs> work on boats. Yeah, that's a whole lot of it is working on the boat, uh, trying to fix something that broke the last no, but, time but you that, were out. Like for the the guys like me that don't you don't have clients, even if you have family, you know, hey, let's go for three hours, but let's go these three hours. Right. You know, keep it limited a little bit. Yeah. What we did whenever, before I was guiding is mm-hmm. this time of year, we'd be out there at, you know, 530 in the morning, fish until 10 o'clock and then go back to the harbor, get something to eat, get something to mm-hmm. drink. If you're lucky enough to have a place to stay, go chill out and go back out in the evening. Um, during the Ullman's tournament a couple of weeks ago, I, I told my guys, I said, we're going to do just that. We're going to go out in the morning. We're going to fish until about 11. Mm-hmm. When it starts getting hot and miserable, I'm going to take you back to the house. You can cool off, take a shower, do whatever you want. And then At 3.30, I'll pick you up, and we'll go out. and. That's the know. way to do it, if you can. Yeah, right. we used to do that at Mansfield all the time. I'd go down there and stay for weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd fish early, early, and we fish really late. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the day, we pulled up there. We All all the houses that we rented always had a pier. Mm-hmm. We could pull up, tie off. We didn't have to load the boat back in and out. That's heaven that's, right there. That's the biggest part of mm-hmm. wanting to fish early and late. If you've got a place that you can leave the boat in the water, right. that makes a big difference. Because in the back of your mind, you're always like, oh, and i got to load the boat, boat and <laughs> you know, park the boat somewhere. Crank and, that crank and yeah. <laughs> pull the plug. Uh, the whole nine yards, put the rods down, whereas if you could just park it and you're there. Yeah, just being able to park it is huge. Right. All right, so uh, let's talk about uh, keeping bait alive. Uh, you talked about it a little bit with the, with the cool uh, with the cool weather. Uh, you you got you also got to just circulate, circulate, circulate. You talk about oxygen in the past. Did you use yeah. that more in the, in, the, in the heat of the day? Yeah, if I was a true live bait guy and mm-hmm. really pushing the live bait, uh, I would have an O2 system mm-hmm. and run oxygen and keep them cool. And like we've talked about before, if it's shrimp, it need they need something to grab a hold of. Yep, uh, some burlap sack, something that they can grab get on so they're not wearing themselves out trying to swim around in mm-hmm. your live well while it's sloshing. Uh, with with croaker, uh, I really don't know what to do with croaker honestly. But <laughs> I, I think it it just needs to we got it, it okay, needs to be open. We've got to you know? establish something here. We don't like croaker fishing with live croaker. In case you haven't noticed from previous episodes, Caleb, I don't. I, I mean, I, I know you've got clients that say, "Hey, I want to fish with this." So, you know, I, I, how do you approach the the shrimp you know, in terms of keeping them alive? Of course, much what he's just said, and how much have you had to fish with croaker? And what do you what do you say to that? I've thrown croaker maybe four times in my life. <laughs> um, there's a couple of uh, tournaments that I guide that are that are bait tournaments. Uh, my customers, they're there to win. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lose a tournament just for my personal pride. Right. Um, that being said, every time I've done it has been in the beachfront. So I, I don't feel as guilty about it because I'm not messing with my base system. Right. Uh, but but keeping Croker alive, I, I do understand that a bit. And yes, the water has to stay cooler. Um, you want O2 on them. My boat is set up as a tournament boat. Mm-hmm. So I'm keeping redfish and trout alive quite often. 
I have recirculators on every tank. I have uh, O2 on every tank. How hard, first of all, let me stop you right there, both you guys. How hard is it to add these things? For guys out there that, that are listening and say, I need to get some O2 on my boat. I mean, how hard difficult is What do you have to do? Go, if you want pro air, which is the, just the air pump that's mm-hmm. pumping the outside, go to Academy for twenty nine ninety nine. Mm-hmm. You can buy a 12-volt uh Mr. Bubbles. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and that's all you need. That's what I, I have. I, whenever I had my boat built, I went to Academy, bought two Mr. Bubbles, took it to JH and said, put them on here. Mm-hmm. Cut the alligator clips off, wire them into a switch, drill a hole in your live well, drop some drop some stones in there. Yeah. The O2, um, I get everything from Bad Marine. Brian, no, he has the best stuff. He mm-hmm. has good pricing. Um, but it's simply an oxygen bottle, a regulator, and a, and a, and a hose with a, with a, you have to have a good stone. Yeah. Um, I, and I can even tell you the name of the stones that he gets me, but they're blue and white. Mm-hmm. But once again, drill a hole in your live well, drop it in there and you're good to go. It's, it's really pretty simple. Yeah. Cause uh, I don't, I mean, I, I don't fish with live bait very often. You know, if I do, it's, it's a quarter shrimp. Yeah, I've, I mean, got you know, the, like, I've got the Mr. Bubbles on mine. Yeah. If I do it, it's a kid drip mm-hmm. and we have live shrimp Yeah, and the Mr. Bubbles will keep your live shrimp just fine. You okay. don't have to have the oxygen to do that. Uh, if you're going to do the croaker thing or you're going to fish the tournaments and you want to keep your redfish alive for mm-hmm. a live weigh-in, then you just have to do oxygen. That's the only way that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my other boats, when I fished the redfish cup, we had oxygen all the time. Uh, it, but we didn't even drill a hole. We didn't do anything because I didn't use it the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you just dropped it I in? I just dropped it in there and you know had the hose going into the, mm-hmm. into the tank. Uh, and the oxygen bottle just kind of rolling around the yeah, bottom well, of the boat. What are you going to do? You know, it's structure. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't like permanently mount anything because, you know, we fished a tournament ever so often. Yeah. yeah it wasn't, wasn't like that was my day-to-day grind. Another, another good uh, tool is a product called G-Juice. And I, I think there's several different ones out there, but mm-hmm. it, what it is is something you pour in your live well and it knocks out the ammonias, the nitrates that the, oh, nice. the fish are producing. And uh, we've had, we've had redfish turning upside down, trying to die on us and, dumped a you know a couple ounces of that in there and when we got to weigh in we couldn't hardly handle them they were just it puts the slime back on them and it, it makes them feel great g juice g juice yeah that's, that's a new yeah one. we used to have there was several different ones that mm-hmm. uh, they were out back in the day i mean i don't know i haven't kept up with i haven't kept current right but one thing about those uh if you do plan on eating your fish i see people all the time throwing their fish in their live wells now that all these boats have live wells mm-hmm. and they keep them in there instead of throwing them on ice good idea i guess mm-hmm. uh, but i've also seen people take pictures hey here's dinner and it's got the the g juice or whatever and the water's blue in there and you're blue or green or whatever the color that stuff turns <laughs> i don't it. know about that and there's some of those the one that i used to use i can't remember the name of it the one the only one that was available back then it was it had a calming agent in mm-hmm. it too it would keep the fish a lot calmer in mm-hmm. the in the live well uh, knock the stress down, keep them alive. Uh, it said on there, do not eat fish <laughs> that have been in this. Uh, you know, other than that, for you know, <laughs> they needed to be out of it for like 24 hours before right. that stuff went through their system and was they were okay to eat again. Yeah. So I would le- I'd read the instructions and read the read the uh, cautions on it. I'll definitely do that. All right, one more thing here. Um, people wanted to to, to say. Just we, we've covered this, Scott. I know you and I have, so I'm gonna start with Caleb on this uh, and just get his thoughts because it's a very gen- generic question, but I think it's an important one. Uh, got my new boat, never really fished this bay. I've been more of a you know uh, just a boater, and I want to start fishing. I need to scout 
Bay X, whatever that is, with all the way from Sabine down to uh, the lower coast, you know, what are, what are your, your, your one, two, three steps, if not more, you know, how to properly scout a bay when you're new to that bay? I would, aside from going back to the whole Google Earth idea. Well, Scott says talk to guys all the time first. Talk yeah. to old timers is always a good start. I mean, I, I regularly have people that just got boats call me and I get in their boat and I'm not going out to show them, man, this is my spot. This is my yeah. spot. But I, I am there to show them how to run the bay correctly. Mm-hmm. I'm there to, um, you know, give them some overall ideas of where to fish. Hire a guide, man. I'm there to tell them how to not get shot at mm-hmm. on this bay. <laughs> because know? of the uh, duck blinds? Well, er, well, just, I mean, every bay seems to have its own its own unwritten laws. Like personality. You know, in, in Galveston, uh, I'd fish over there all the time. And if one guy had a radio, everybody had a radio and nobody had a problem with it. And I, I personally didn't either because mm-hmm. I didn't have a radio. But in Matagorda, if I can make out what color your boat is, somebody's mad at you about that. Mm-hmm. And then we all go back to one tiny little harbor. So, but, but like Scott said, uh, talk to the local guys. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just get a feel for what you're doing. It's going to cost you a lot less money to hire somebody than it is to spend the time that that guy's going to show you in one day. Right. And you can, and you're kind of fast tracking when you hire a guy to, to show well, you. Right. And be upfront about it. Mm-hmm. Don't you know? I've had guys that you know kind of tried to sneak it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they want carry a little GPS in their pocket. You right. know, back before phones all had GPSs, they'd have the little yeah, walkie-talkie looking one. Yeah. You know, and uh, they'd have that in their bag and want to you know pull my tracks. Just be honest with me. Mm-hmm. Let me know. And then it's going to be a different kind of day. And you'll help them even more. Yeah. So, hey, you don't want to run this side. Right. It's going to be a totally different kind of day. Going into Karakwa is a perfect example uh, on the upper coast. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about Karakwa in Galveston. Right. Running in off the intercoastal. You better know what you're doing going in there. You know that you have to stay all the way to the left. I'm going to talk about reach out and touch the grass Mm kind of on the left. Right. If you go a little bit right, you're sitting on top of shell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm running in there with you, and you want to keep it secret, yeah. That you're not something you're not trying to notice. Yeah, yeah, you're you're trying to pull tracks off of me. Well, you didn't really realize that I had to go that far over to the left, or why I had to go over there. If you tell me ahead of time, hey, I want to learn this bay. uh, Take me to a lot of places that I can that I can run Mm -hmm. that I can feel confident running. Then I'm gonna as I'm running you through there, I'm gonna say, hey, when you come around this corner you better be hugging the left-hand side or you're going to be sitting on top of shell. Right. And, uh, and so it's com- little things like that. More. Yeah, you're going to communicate more. Uh, any good guide's going to communicate with you throughout the day mm-hmm. as to why we stopped here to fish, why we did this, why we did that. But they're not so much about the navigational part, uh, the getting around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Caleb runs through the Colorado River, at the mouth there, the diversionary canal, and I hate that place. <laughs> I I do not like to run in there at all, and uh, I would avoid it. Just I'd I'd run down the intercoastal right. all the way out to the bay, and uh, run over to Greens mm-hmm. instead of trying to run through that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was too rough, I just wasn't going to go over there. Then right, I'd turn around and go to East Bay. That's information a lot of people could use right there. But yeah, and the biggest part of that is don't get too comfortable with it. Uh, because it changes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Caleb knows that as well as anybody. It it changes quick, right? Uh, if you get any kind of a big rain, um, a big tide movement, 
it'll pick those those big logs up that came rolling down the well even the just river running the on the shoreline over there i mean uh, i got i think i told you guys i know i told talked about it on the podcast i got i had to get wet in cane cove not long ago because i was whoop all of a sudden my boat was teetering on some shell that sandbar comes out quick <laughs> sure does <laughs> no, i i sky was talking about the diversion i spent six hours there last fall thinking about how quickly it changed because mm-hmm. I found where the change was. <laughs> but I, he, I, he called me while he was out there too. Yeah. He was bored. Yeah. Uh. Well, I had, there was little else to do. <laughs> if I would have known hurricane Harvey was coming at that time, I would have been thinking to myself, yeah, this is about, that'd be when I get this boat out of here. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, but it's so, so hire a guide. If you're on your boat, once you, uh, you hire a guide. It's all. It's listen to the podcast, and I don't mean to be sounding self-serving there, but like we talk about all the things that, that we have done to catch fish, because a lot of people the question tends to be, "Hey, where do I go? Where'd you catch that? You know, where where, where should I go?" I don't mind telling people where I caught fish, but really the best way to learn is to is to learn how to navigate a bay, and then know what to look for. Yeah, the worst question in the world to ask is where'd you catch those because mm-hmm. that tells you nothing right yeah i mean it, it's it, conditions I, I mean it tells you something it's the but conditions it, though. it's all about conditions and yeah. what were the fish doing how were they acting mm-hmm. uh what kind of structure were they on mm-hmm. i mean i caught my fish you know last week uh, they were on grass with a little bit of mud and uh, some hard sand mm-hmm. and then they were up in about a foot of water uh, they were tailing really good in that well knowing that i don't have to tell you where that was yeah, you people would know, but you know, and Caleb knows places around that area that might may, may be totally different from. They're going to be different. Yeah, I right. mean the chances are really good. It's mm-hmm. going to be a completely different cove, a completely different place. Mm-hmm. But it has that same. It should click off something in your brain that says, "Hey, I know where a place like that is." Right. Uh, and even looking on Facebook and seeing pictures, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're we're all really people are always looking at the background. everybody's looking at the background <laughs> trying to figure out exactly where you are. Yeah. I'm looking at the water. Yeah. And I'm looking at you know what's the water look like where he's at. Mm-hmm. You know, is he in some clear water? Yeah, he's in some clear water. Oh, I can see some grass. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm picking up on those kind of little clues mm-hmm. because now that tells me all I need to know about where I need to go because right. I know places just like that. A friend and I went out last week, middle of the week. We covered about 65 miles of water. Whew. And we went in every place that we could get a boat in, every back lake. Mm-hmm. And in every single one of those back lakes, the fish were holding on the south shoreline in the same depth, doing the same thing. Mm. Every one of them. That's what you need to know. Right. And, that, and that's Scott's point. Yeah. And that's why I used to tell people, they'd ask me, because I fished greens. There mm-hmm. was no secret about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I when I got to Galveston. They knew you where you were going. Yeah. I mean, I wore that place out. <laughs> I mean, I was back and forth, back and forth every day. And because I knew it like the back of my hand, I knew mm-hmm. what the fish were going to be doing in there. Um, but I would tell people, okay, they're they're getting on shrimp. You know, they're, they're starting to school up a little bit. The shrimp mm-hmm. are in the grass, and they're getting on them pretty good. You could go over to East Bay and go over into the sun oil cut and that marsh over there and start doing the exact same thing. You mm-hmm. could run down to, uh, you know, around Chocolate Bayou. Sure. You could run run the marsh down there around Salt Lake, and they were doing the same thing over there. Right. Yeah, you know, they're they're hitting those, those shrimp up in the grass. So – same thing with little crabs, you know, oh, yep. they're on baby crabs. Well, the baby crabs hatched out all over Everywhere, the place. Not just so, there. Yeah. They're on them all over the place. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to know 
that I was in Lake X in the back end of Greens when mm-hmm. I caught those fish. At these numbers, you right. know, you don't, have you don't, to don't do need this. to know that. <laughs> what you need to know and the questions you need to ask is, what were the conditions like? What were y'all catching them what on? Was the, what was the you tide know, doing? What was uh, the wind doing? What how were you working your lures? Exactly. Well, and and to further um, elaborate on Scott's point, we saw all those fish on Wednesday, and had I said, John, the fish are right here. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, the tide dropped ten inches. So they were, yeah. There wasn't a single fish in a single one of those spots on Friday, <laughs> and I had a six, I mean, a seven-year-old and nine-year-old going. I thought you said we had yeah, fish. I thought, I thought you, you were good. I yeah, you were on them. You're a professional, huh? <laughs> it's like me with the backlashes. I don't know what the heck you're talking about? All right, uh, Captain Caleb McCumber, uh, where can people uh, book you for whether it's scouting or fishing or, or not finding fish in that case? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you where they were yesterday. I, I'm sorry, I was channeling <laughs> Scott on that one. <laughs> should have been here yesterday. Yeah, should have been here yesterday. Well, you know, Scott last week had said he used to be good and i'm working on getting good yeah, so there you go one of these days no seriously though you, you you've been on some fish uh where can people get a hold of you uh my website is captain caleb but it's captcaleb.com i'm caleb mccumber on facebook captain caleb mccumber on instagram um i'm very responsive to messages or whatnot so right um just let me know and we'll talk about it and see what we can work out sometimes you can find him on the roof of your barn uh yeah that's right you I, do a little I, bit of that don't nah, you I, I had him on the roof of my barn oh, your day. barn yeah he was him and his brother-in-law were out there, and they built my building, the the one that's on my property. Yeah, they built that building for me. Oh, nice. Well, after right after they built it, we had a little storm come through, mm-hmm. a little tropical depression, mm-hmm. and it was leaking in there. So I videoed it and uh, sent it to them and said, "Hey, uh, it's leaking a little bit." So they went out there, they did the right thing, yeah. great guys, and they went out there and they were fixing the cap, mm-hmm. and uh, they put one ladder up. And that ladder fell down. It made a distinctive sound. Yeah. yeah it was <laughs> Oblique thump. is the sound. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I was fishing. Mm-hmm. I was out on the bay. No and, hurry. Take well, your time, man. Yeah, and I was in an area that didn't have good cell service. Mm-hmm. And uh, Caleb's calling me pretty regular from up there on that hot roof. <laughs> and it was hot. It was July, August. Yeah. And uh, my wife was up at the trailer that we were staying in while we were building the place. Yeah. And it was about what, two, 300 yards away. But my lab came out and visited with them. And she did not know how to put the ladder back up. And they're out there just hollering and hollering. Only she had thumbs. You know, Only and, she had thumbs. And the whole time we're building this barn, and it's a it's a uh, engineered windstorm, everything. Yeah. everything's heavy. Everything's heavy. And we've spent thousands of dollars on reach lifts and all these things we rented. Well, Scott wouldn't let us use them because we may damage the, uh, quote, trees <laughs> around his property. But none of these trees were even remotely as tall as the building to yeah. climb off of also known as shrubs and, and was that they're oak <laughs> trees they're just little oak trees and was that hurricane harvey that hit right after we built it or was it no it was a tropical depression tropical, tropical storm i don't even think it had a name so we we get done building this 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 barn and um the tropical storm hits about a week later yeah and i'm sweating bullets about it and i told scott i said well I guess if something happens, at least, you know, insurance will cover it. He said, because insurance, what insurance? <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't have the windstorm certificate yet. There, I couldn't get insurance. There is that. There is that. All right. And of course, Captain Scott, you have a good story about uh, uh, some listeners really, really had a good time with you. Yeah. I had a couple guys out and uh, they listen religiously mm-hmm. and they talk about that it's they know fishing they're mm-hmm. they're good fishermen mm-hmm. and they said it's the little things that we say there's there's always a little something that they pick up along the way something that i say off the cuff or mm-hmm. you say off the cuff mm-hmm. and they said ah 
hold on. And they back it up and they look at, you know, listen right. to it again. And right. they, they're picking up little things. Uh, like when I, when I mentioned uh, one of them that they talked about mm-hmm. was when uh, I said pulling through a marsh and scouting a new marsh, mm-hmm. scouting a new area, that the mouth of the bayou, if it was soft, don't bother going in. If oh, it yeah. was hard, yeah. that meant there's some flow to that bayou. Mm-hmm. Go in there and check that one out. They said, oh, they were kayakers. And they were like, I'll oh, save you some time. Man, that, that saved us a bunch of time, and it, it gave us a bunch of ideas and some places to go. Good deal. And that's Captain Scott Knoll on Facebook, John Lopez on Facebook, uh, Captain Scott Knoll on Instagram, John Lopez, uh, at Lopez on Sports on Twitter, and Lopez on Sports on Instagram. This is a fun show. Uh, may go on a little bit long, but I don't think anybody minds it. Long commutes for everyone. Uh, we will be back next week. We have a lot to cover. Uh, these guys have been fantastic. Thanks for coming by the last two weeks, Caleb. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time. Catch those fish, man. The Star Tournament is almost over. We'll talk to you next week.